0: Hi and welcome to the St Saviour's Finsbury Park podcast. Our vision is to be a church alive in God's love to serve the city. And we hope this teaching helps you to know God and serve him more wherever you've been uniquely placed. Let's jump in. Thanks Anna. Well good morning, can I add my welcome to Anna's? Um, It's really good to see you all this morning. Um, it's always a privilege to look at the Word of God together. And um, I'm, I'm Bex, I'm on the staff team here. And we are working our way through a sermon series. I might just wait till everyone's out of the cafe area. I might start naming and shaming as well. Amazing. It's because it's such a warm welcome and such good coffee, isn't it? Um, We're working our way through a sermon series called Jesus is Lord, um, which is exactly what it says on the tin. We're asking the question, what does it mean to make Christ Lord of all? The Bible is quite clear and says you can't serve two masters. Jesus is Lord of all or not at all. Is anyone else getting any feedback? Does that sound, or is it just me? Are we all okay? Shall I just carry on? Great, okay. I think maybe it's just something up here. Um, And so if we don't worship Jesus, we find other things to fill his place, which can be harmful to ourselves, it can be harmful to others, it can be harmful to the world. But where Jesus is Lord, abundant life is available, and things begin to flourish. So each week we're looking at a different passage of Scripture that reveals something about the Lordship of Jesus. And last week, Matt S. started the series by looking at Jesus' birth, the Incarnation, how making Jesus Lord of our lives is personal, disruptive, and purposeful. Um, Personal because it's an invitation to let Jesus be born in our lives by the Holy Spirit, just as he was born in Mary by the Holy Spirit. That making Jesus in our lives, if we're honest, can be disruptive because Jesus' life is an event which transforms everything, not just the bits around the edge, but the core of our lives, so that his life becomes ours. And making Jesus Lord of our lives is purposeful, because we no longer live for ourselves, but for Jesus, and the life of Jesus is a great adventure. And in the next two weeks, we're going to be looking at where Jesus is Lord, joy breaks out, the wedding of Cana, and we'll be studying that passage, and where Jesus is Lord, justice reigns. Um, where Jesus overturns the tables of the money changers. Because we want to be a church that is hungry for Jesus, his lordship, his life, and his presence. And today we're looking at the passage in Matthew 13 and 14 that talks about Jesus' baptism and his temptations and how Jesus is Lord of the battle in the blessings and the battles that we face in life. So we'll start by reading the passage. We're in Matthew 3, verse 13, if you've got your Bible, so it'll come up on the screen. Amazing. Thanks, Lydia. Then Jesus came from Galilee to the Jordan to be baptized by John. But John tried to deter him, saying, I need to be baptized by you, but you come to me. Jesus replied, Let it be so now. It's proper for us to do this to fulfill all righteousness. So john consented as soon as jesus was baptized he went up out of the water at the moment heaven was opened and he saw the spirit of god descending like a dove and alighting on him and a voice from heaven said this is our key verse for this morning this is my son whom i love with him i am well pleased Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. Jesus answered, It's written, Man shall not live on bread alone, but every word that comes from the mouth of God. Then the devil took him to the holy city and had him stand on the highest point of the temple, If you're the Son of God, he said, throw yourself down, for it's written. He will command his angels concerning you. They will lift you up in their hands. You will not strike your foot against a stone. Jesus answered him, it's also written, don't put the Lord your God to the test. And again, the devil took him to a very high mountain and showed him all the kingdoms of the world and their splendor. All this I'll give you, he said, if you bow down and worship me. Jesus said to him, Away from me, Satan, for it is written, Worship the Lord your God and serve him only. Then the devil left and angels came and attended him. Shall we pray? Lord, thank you that your word is powerful to speak to us today. Holy Spirit, would you come and would you roam our hearts We want to see something more of who you are and who you're calling us to be. We ask that you would speak to us through this passage, each of us. I thank you that you have something for us in this. We're open to you. We love you. We worship you. We honour you. Everything this morning is about you and with you and through you. Amen. So we're really early on in the book of Matthew. This is the first reference to Jesus' adult life and the very beginning of his ministry. It's interesting that the Gospels and um, only two of the Gospels have Jesus' birth stories. All four Gospels have his baptism. There aren't many stories that are in all four Gospels, really the key ones, and this is one of them, because this is the beginning of his ministry is started by his baptism. And before that, we see um, John the Baptist, Jesus' slightly unusual cousin, who also had a miraculous birth. This prophet in the spirit of Elijah comes onto the scene. And his role was to prepare the way for Jesus by a baptism of repentance for sins. We see that at the beginning of chapter three. So when Jesus turns up to be baptized, who is the only person who's lived without sin and doesn't need that repentance, John is understandably confused and sort of says to him, you know, is this a good idea? You should be baptizing me. Jesus explains it's important to fulfill all righteousness because even in baptism, Jesus is standing in our place. Two things happen in this moment. Firstly, we see this beautiful sign of um, the Holy Spirit descending like a dove on him. And then we hear this audible voice from heaven. It's interesting in the Gospels, that only happens three times. It happens right at the beginning of Jesus' baptism. Then it happens in the transfiguration. And then right in John's Gospel, right towards the end, before he dies. And what God speaks over Jesus is really important. Those who were listening at the time will have been reminded of two really famous prophecies about this Messiah who was going to come and save. Firstly, there's this reference to Psalm 2 which is this beloved Son of God who will come and who will save as a king. But there's also, interestingly, these two references to Isaiah 42 and Isaiah 53, which is this Messiah who will come but who will suffer. And so Jesus is this Messiah that's fulfilling these prophecies, who will bring the kingdom of God, but he is both a victorious king and a suffering servant. And so that's what God is saying when he says, this is my son whom I love with him. I'm well pleased. And then we get the beginning of chapter four, which feels really different. And we get this small verse, then. And I think what's interesting, it isn't just that these are consecutive events, they sort of just happen, this one and then that one. There is a reason that one happens before the other. It's almost like a therefore. This moment of this comfort this moment of blessing, and then all of a sudden Jesus is straight into blessing them. battle, comfort from God, straight into conflict, the lush waters of the Sea of Galilee and baptism straight into being driven into the desert, a really dry, arid place. And I think we'd all agree that we all face battles of different types throughout our lives. And we see in this passage um, and in the rest of Jesus' life, some insight into the battles that we face. But when you think about battles, it's important to work out who the enemy is, what their tactics are, how to overcome them. And I'm going to fast forward through the Bible a little bit to Ephesians 1. As Paul talks to the church in Ephesus, he talks about their be- us being in a battle, but of God having the ultimate power. Ephesians 1, he says... I pray that the eyes of your heart may be enlightened in order that you may know his incomparably great power for us who believe. That power is the same mighty strength he exerted when he raised Christ from the dead, seated him at the right hand of the heavenly realms. Far above all rule, all authority, all power, all dominion, and every name that is invoked, not only in the present age, but also in the age to come, God has placed all things under his feet. So we're under no illusion about who has the ultimate power. But then later on in Ephesians, Paul is also under no illusion that there are battles. And he says this Be strong in the Lord, and in his mighty power, put on the full armour of God so that you can take your stand against the devil's schemes. For our struggle isn't against flesh and blood, but against the rulers against the authorities, against the powers of this dark world and against the spiritual forces of evil in the heavenly realms. So he's saying it's not always about people, it's about the thing that's behind them. And I think today we can find it a little bit uncomfortable when we start to talk about Satan and demons and evil. And we can kind of respond to those, those kind of topics in, in three ways. Firstly, we find it like, deeply uncomfortable and we find it a little bit difficult to understand and we sort of just do this whole like, I'm not even sure they exist. I'm just going to kind of like close my eyes to what's going on there or just deny they exist full stop. Or we go to this other extreme where we sort of like become really fearful and we forget that God has power over all the evil in the world. Or lastly, we can become unhelpfully fascinated With supernatural powers that mimic the power that God has. Ghosts, tarot cards, witchcraft, paganism, crystals, even astrology and manifesting have roots in these things which can be ultimately harmful. But the Bible is clear. Satan, demons, and evil do exist in the world, right from the beginning of the Bible, when we hear about the fall, right through to the end in Revelation. And I think we only have to look around us in the world, we look for the news to realise there is evil in the world. Everything from wars to child abuse, a lot of the dark things that happen are not just the cause of one or even many awful people. Evil is also at work. But Jesus' call, and our call as his followers, is to usher in the kingdom of God like Jesus did, to bring light, to bring life, to bring love, to bring flourishing, to bring peace, to bring joy. And the work of Satan and evil is anything that's in the opposite spirit to those things. Anything in the world around us or that we experience in our lives, fear, injustice, robbing, destruction, pain, and death. I think the most helpful um, sort of verse that summarizes that for me is John 10.10, when Jesus says, Satan comes to kill, steal, and destroy. I have come that you might have life, abundant life. Jesus didn't go looking for Satan, but he also didn't deny his presence or feel fearful of him. But when he comes up against him, he recognizes the attack and knows how to come back at him. And that is what's happening in this passage. We get a few insights into how Satan works and how we can battle back. So Satan is often described in the Bible as the tempter that comes to us in a moment of weakness. I think in the beginning of chapter 4, this is my favourite understatement of the Bible. After fasting for 40 days and 40 nights, Jesus was hungry. I'm not sure if any of you have ever tried fasting um, for like medical purposes, for spiritual purposes, for health purposes. It's incredibly hard. 40 days and 40 nights, you would be hungry. And on one hand, Satan comes to Jesus in this moment of physical weakness. But fasting has also brought him into a moment of spiritual strength as he humbles himself before God as he starts his ministry. And that is why Jesus is able to push back. God speaks these beautiful words in the baptism of affirmation. He says, this is my son who I love. With him I am well pleased. This is what he says over each of us this morning. You are my son or my daughter. I love you. You are my beloved. But Satan's voice comes back at him again and again. Again, sometimes one of the words that the Bible uses to describe Satan is the accuser. And that's to undermine our identity as the beloved child of God and questions what God has really said to us to sow doubts in our mind. So it's interesting. So God says, um, says to Jesus, this is my son whom I love. Satan starts his, his attack on him by saying, if you are the son of God. And he uses that phrase twice. And you hear these echoes of Genesis 3 when Satan in the form of a snake says to Eve, did God really say... And I think when we hit hard times and when we feel demoralized, we can start to question, does God really love us? Are we doing the right thing? And Jesus was totally led by the Holy Spirit, totally pleasing to God, and yet he faced so many battles. And if we're following him, we do need to expect that sometimes as well. Satan tries to persuade us to give up bringing about God's kingdom, to become distracted and start worshipping other things in our lives, things that we think might fulfil us. For each of us, it's something different. It can be anything that might, on the surface, be incredibly he- might healthy, but actually, for us, it might be difficult. It could be work, productivity, busyness, money, things that we spend our money on, appearance, social media profile, holidays, our kids, our relationships, sex, work, drink... And as I said, not all of these things are bad in themselves, but they can become a distraction from what God asks us to do, or the thing that we end up longing for most and worshipping instead of God. And Jesus knew his purpose, to teach about God, to bring people to God, to ultimately die for the sins of the world. And he knew it wasn't going to be a walk in the park. As part of this journey, he knew that he would be questioned even by his closest family, that he would be ridiculed by the religious authorities who frankly should have been the first to recognize him. He would be betrayed by one of his closest friends and ultimately he would die an incredibly painful and shameful death. And in doing that, doing that for people who would probably reject him. Satan can be very clever and how he can try and deceive us He offers Jesus a way out, and for for good measure, he also tries to back it up with a piece of scripture. He suggests that Jesus take the easy route. He suggests that when Jesus is is in a period of fasting, that he turns stones into bread. He suggests that Jesus take the easy route to the beginning of his ministry, and everyone realizing he's the Son of God. When we talk about here of of Satan saying to Jesus, taking him to Jerusalem, the capital city, and the temple, the focal point of that city, and when Satan suggests to Jesus to throw himself off the temple, surrounded by angels, what he's really suggesting is an amazing show of power and glory to start his ministry. So it's really clear that he's the son of God and he gets immediate recognition. Rather than live and teach as he did, sometimes in obscurity, poverty, exhaustion, and misunderstanding. Again, Satan suggests that Jesus take easy route to glory with the Father, that he will give him everything if Jesus just worships him. But Jesus knows the only way to bring about the salvation of all people and return to his Father in glory, where he, his Father where he would indeed sit at the right hand in glory, is to go through the suffering of the cross. And we see this throughout the Bible and in our lives, this idea of blessings and battles. We've just finished this series on Abraham, where Abraham um, hears this call. He leaves his home, and he develops this nomadic lifestyle of following Jesus where he's asked. And Jesus, um, Jesus, he, God at that point, <laughs> Jesus is yet to come, but still with the Father, sorry. <laughs> And God, and God calls him to all these different things, but he also massively blesses him. He's got a beautiful wife. He blesses him with like more cattle, it says, than the land can, can hold him and his, his nephew, Lot. Lot is blessed through him. And yet one of the things that Abraham really longs for is a child. And God says these wild promises to him, you're going to have more descendants than there are. Sun underneath your feet and stars in the sky. And the battles that he gets to get there, and even when he has a child, are huge. And yet that is true. And it's can be the same for us now. We live in this now and not yet of the kingdom of God. Until Jesus comes again and all things are made new, where there will be no more death, destruction, injustice, pain or fear. The battles can be ongoing, but we know who has won the war. And one of the um, particular battles that we can face is this around our identity as a beloved child of God and particularly when we're playing a role in bringing in the kingdom of God but we also just can face them in life generally. Good to ask ourselves how can we be equipped to face inevitable battles well? And we're flicking to the end of the Gospel of John in this. I we'll take a brief look at the night before Jesus' final and ultimate battle when he goes to the cross. In chapters 13 to 17, we get to sit in on this final conversation that Jesus has with his closest friends before they, he and they will be thrown into a huge battle of confusion, peer, persecution as they see him crucified, raised from the dead, ascended into heaven, are filled with the Holy Spirit, and start the beginning of the church. Jesus warns his friends, and then he reassures them how he will comfort and equip them. And this is, this is key for us now. He tells his disciples who believe in them, he says, In this world, you will have many troubles, but take heart, I have overcome the world. He reiterates his love for them. He says, As the Father has loved me, so have I loved you. Remain in my love. This is key. And then he explains, slightly bizarrely, this this is actually a good thing that I'm going because the Holy Spirit can come. The Holy Spirit who is a comforter, counselor, advocate, parent to them, reminding them of God's truth, giving them peace. Jesus says, I will ask the Father. He will give to you another advocate to help you and be with you forever, the spirit of truth. I love this verse. I will not leave you as orphans. I will come to you the Advocate, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, will teach you all things, will remind you of everything I've said to you. And you might recognize this from our time of our peace. Peace I leave with you. My peace I give to you. I don't give to you as the world gives. Do not let your hearts be afraid. And so there's just kind of... um, kind of practical points. I always like to drill down to being a little bit practical. That I feel like perhaps we can think as we if, just as we've looked at these passages to take away with us this week, as we face the inevitable battles that will come at us, but that Jesus says He has overcome. And I think that's scripture. It's Christian community and it's the Holy Spirit. And and scripture is is truth. It's comfort. I love that phrase, the story we live in is the story we will live out. Are we filling up on the good stuff? I I, I know this is not an easy read. It's not, but it's completely full of truth and this is how we need to frame our lives. There are some incredibly strong narratives in culture which are not helpful. We need to be counteracting those and we need to hold a mirror up to them in scripture. Secondly, Christian community, this is the one that I feel like has just massively blessed me in the different battles that i faced in my life. And the simple life-giving practices, um, as Anna was saying earlier, coming along to church, joining a hub, joining a dwell group, having those spaces where we can be vulnerable about what's really going on, having other people around us who can remind us of truth, who can stand alongside us, who can intercede for us, who can cheer us on, who can offer us practical help. Satan would have us feeling alone and in despair. And our church family remind us that we're not alone when we face battles. I've been thinking about this with, I don't know if anyone's been reading up on the post office scandal or you've watched the ITV series. The terrible injustice that um, that happened to the postmasters started with this phrase, you're the only one. When they gathered together, they were able not only to support each other, but also to face the injustice that they had been facing and they continued to do so. And finally, I'm just wondering if the band would like to come up because we're just going to go into a time of ministry. The final thing is is what Jesus said to his disciples. Um, The gift that he gives them, the Holy Spirit, the comforter, the healer, the advocate, the power that raised Christ from the dead that can be at work in our lives if we ask him. And that's what we do. Um, if you're able to, if you'd like to stand. That's what we do in this time when we just really um, encourage you to kind of reflect on what God's been doing throughout the service today. Um, particularly as we look at these, these words of scripture, um, there's a verse in James that talks about um, if we, we hear the word of God and we forget, it's like someone who looks in the mirror and forgets their appearance and I think there was always a good moment just to have a moment of quiet and that might just be stood right where you are and just let the worship music wash over you but there's also incredible power and as I was talking about that sense of community and vulnerability that when we come forward and we say yeah, would you stand with me? would you pray for me? it doesn't need to be a big thing it doesn't need to be a huge heart share it could just be a moment where we say do you know what? we love you as church family we want to stand alongside you And three things came to mind for me, but you can always come up for prayer here at St. Saviour's for any reason. But three things particularly came to mind. Anybody for whom there's a sense of calling and purpose and something that you feel that God's asked you to do that feels particularly contested in this season. And then there's some of us who I think are just facing seasons of battles. You know... You'll know what those are. It could be physical or mental health. It could be relationships, finances, home, work. We would love to do two things. We want to stand alongside you and we want to ask for breakthrough. And then the third thing is, as we hear those words about being the beloved child of God, that is the way that Satan tried to get at Jesus. And I think that is the thing that we can quite often feel most... um, attacked up about really that we are the beloved child of God and Brennan Manning has this lovely question that I just want to pose and if this speaks to you then then that's the Holy Spirit going come on come and respond do you believe that the God of Jesus loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness beyond fidelity and infidelity that he loves you in the morning sun And in the evening rain, so he gets me every time. That he loves you when your intellect denies it, your emotions refuse it, your whole being rejects it. Do you believe that God loves you without condition, or reservation, and loves you in this moment as you are, and not as you should be? I'm going to read it again because I was crying. <laughs> And do you believe that the God of Jesus loves you beyond worthiness and unworthiness, beyond fidelity and infidelity, that he loves you in the morning sun and in the evening rain, that he loves you when your intellect denies it, your emotions refuse it, your whole being rejects it? Do you believe that God loves you without condition or reservation and loves you in this moment just as you are and not as you should be? So we're gonna um, i think the band have got a few songs um and yeah I just want to just just call forward if you would like prayer for this sense of your calling or purpose or something that god's asked you to do being contested um if you feel like you're in a season of battle or when jesus talks about you being a beloved child of his that feels in this moment a bit questioned we would love to pray for you i just really want to encourage you forward now